McKenzie, space again, gets the pass away for Welcome team, Kia Farnell. welcome to the All Black Podcast, last one of the year and um, what I've been told is when you get to the end of the year, you review the year, it seems to be what everyone does and I don't want to buck the trend so we're going to do exactly the same thing but also what you do is you don't try and do it yourself, you get in some experts, some pundits, some people who live rugby day in day out and we've got a couple of them, they wear many hats, um, I can hardly keep up with the various things that these two do but to finish off the year we actually have one of the judges and one of the hosts of New Zealand Rugby Awards, welcome to the show. TJ and Kirsty. Tena korua. Hi guys, how are you? Sure now, guys, thank you so much for having us. Awesome, thank you, team. And look, what's going on, guys? Are we? Have we got one more gig, and then we're on? We're on holiday. Like, have we? Is the the Rugby Awards um, your last act of 2021, and then you get to put the feet up a little bit? Is that the case, TJ? Uh, well, my work is almost done for this year. I'm uh, just finalising some of the awards just in the last week or so. We've got it all done now, so uh, we can sit back now and, and watch uh, Kirsty and the team present them. And then after that, I've got a bit of a break, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I'm actually I'm painting, and I'm not talking about <laughs> um, or uh, portraits or anything. I'm, I'm actually painting part of the house and did a very successful job of uh, tramping paint marks uh, foot marks <laughs> yesterday so I actually spent more time cleaning my own mess than I did doing painting but I'm looking forward to watching a lot of cricket my daughter plays cricket um, so I'll be watching her probably two games a weekend and uh, watching some cricket at the grounds as well so I- I've got yeah I've got about a month off I'm really looking forward to that awesome and Kirsty, are you all good to go for the awards how, how are we doing that are we doing that online are we zooming it is it just shown on sky like how, how are we going to be um, watching that this year it's a combination. So we're shooting it in studio uh, in a week's time and we're Zooming um, different award winners. We've done sit-down stories or are doing sit-down stories with some of the award winners too. But I'm glad that uh, TJ has um, revealed himself as one of the judges because, you know, there's always contention around uh, who's getting what awards. And now we know who to turn to. We know who we can message and find out, oh, why did they get that award? Interesting. Yeah. Interesting call. It's great. <laughs> Hundred percent. We can get the inside oil on uh, what determine the winners for the year. Absolutely, and hopefully, there's a, a few hints throughout this podcast today. But, geez, it's it's you know it has been a hell of a year. There's actually all things considered been a huge amount of rugby played. It's unbelievable to think how much rugby we did get in under all sorts of different circumstances throughout the year. When you look back on it, two Super Rugby comps, Aotearoa and, and Tres Tasman. Inaugural Super Rugby game for our Wahini um, between the Blues and the Chiefs, which was awesome. 15 tests for the All Blacks, which has to be as many as we've ever played in a in a calendar season. Four tests for the Black Ferns. Great to see them back playing international rugby after two years off. All Black and Black Fern Sevens went to the Olympics. Hard to believe. Geez, I can barely remember that when I was going back through, but it wasn't that long ago. We, we had an Olympic Games. Bunnings NPC, Farah Palmer Cup. And no doubt I'm missing a few things, like it has been a hell of a year. And you've got to remember when we started back in February, Full crowds, no delta in New Zealand, um, and then my goodness, things have changed throughout the course of the year. But I wanted to start uh, firstly with Super Rugby. It's hard to remember to take yourself back to February when it was probably 25 degrees and, and as I said, um, crowds in the stadiums. But um, when the dust settled, it was the Crusaders who won their their fifth Super Comp in a row, um, and perhaps you know something for us to discuss. But is this? maybe of all the different dynasties that the Crusaders have had since the, since the inception of Super Rugby, which has now been going 26 years, you know, is this the best vintage? Yeah, you know, it's funny you, you mention all those different uh, 
games that were played. I, mean, I think I, I called something like uh, 90 games of rugby this year. Wow. Although 54 of them were at the Olympics. So I hate <laughs> <laughs> they weren't all 80 minutes, but we did in the end get to see a lot of rugby, a lot more than maybe could have been the case. Obviously, there was a lot of disruption, but and you're right, Super Rugby just seems like such a long time oh. ago. I called my first game, it was about the 16th, there was a warm-up game that we did, and then we were into it late February. And yes, the Crusaders again came through, and once more, they you know, kept the flag very high, set a very high standard for the other teams. It was a very good, intense competition, and they came out on top. It was it was pretty tight in the end uh, to, to, to who they would play between the Chiefs and the Blues, but the Chiefs got through, and that was great. But at the end of it all, you know, the Crusaders continued to, to be the standard setters in New Zealand rugby. I just love the way they have created over the, the history of this competition, ever since a very rocky start, this incredible environment which enables uh, outstanding rugby players to excel. And I don't think that's changed at all. Comparing eras to era, eras, it, it, it obviously becomes difficult in, with COVID in mind because we have super rugby Aotearoa, which is very, very intense. New Zealand teams against New Zealand teams. And that probably brings around a, a, you know, a relentless standard of competition. So you take that very much into account when you compare eras. What they don't do, of course, is go to South Africa anymore. Yeah. And challenges that that bring, which I always thought were very valuable for New Zealand rugby, you know, the hostile environments, different uh, ground and air conditions. So it's hard. But I think this team, you, you know, you think back, there's, the, the, the great eras, I mean, I suppose the Blues had one at the outset, but then 98 to 2002, Wayne Smith, Robbie Deans, they won four out of five in that era. Uh, then uh, between 05 and 08, and under Robbie again, they won three out of four. Those were really great teams. But I think uh, that this team deserves to be mentioned in the same breath as those for sure. Kirsty, what do you think? I think it's like Tony said, it's really hard to compare eras um, and compare different generations of players because the game changes so much over a 26 year yeah. period, right? Um, and TJ's been watching it from the beginning. I haven't, or I've been watching it with different eyes anyway. At the start, I was literally put on a beanbag in front of the TV, you know, and <laughs> like that was my parents or my uncle's idea of babysitting. So for me, I've seen it with a totally different lens. So I think this Crusader side, they're unbelievable what they've done but for me this year and I'm going to sound like I'm being a little bit biased here but it was the way that the Chiefs changed from last year to this year you know they came into this season having lost 11 games straight they broke that drought and then Damien McKenzie literally put that team on his back and we saw it time and time again I think against the Highlanders uh, the Crusaders the Hurricanes he just dug their way out at the death and it made for such exciting rugby and Clayton McMillan stepped in, obviously, as this interim coach. And I, there's just something about that guy when you meet him and he just has so much mana. Like, there is something so strong about him. He connects that team to more than just rugby. He connects that team to the region. You talk to any of those players and um, he put he really put that mana back in the jersey, which is what, like, the Dave Rennies brought to yep. that team, didn't they? That culture that no other team's able to replicate. Sure, the Crusaders have, like, a really special thing going on down there, but... The Chiefs have this mouldy gym that they all buy into for the region, for their people, and it always seems like it's so much more than just the rugby. I think 
you did right, and, and I think the parallels you draw between Dave Rennie and Clayton McMillan uh, are really good because, um, you know, people of the area are really proud, um, proud Māori men who really bring that through their teams. And there's just um, – the Chiefs have never had a shortage of good players, have they? They've always had some really, really good rugby players, but beginning, being able to get them going on the team has been the skill, and it's something Clayton did this year and, and perhaps maybe a little bit fortunate that another very, very good coach in Warren Gatlin ended up being away for the season with the Lions and it gave Clayton the opportunity to take the reins and they turned a bunch of close losses into a bunch of close wins, which is the testament of a, a good team and, and managed to play, just fell short against the, the Crusaders in the final. I wanted to talk a little bit as well about another franchise. Um, for a lot of people in the 09, there was a lot of excitement about the Blues they've been building. You know, always is, isn't there? Uh, there's always excitement. All the cliches come out. You know, if the Blues are good, the All Blacks are good. There's all sorts of chat going on. Like, um, that's it. But, um, you know, certainly for Super Rugby Aotearoa, um, they had a great squad. Looked like they had a great squad. They had some, geez, they had a big forward pack, that's for sure. Massive back row, Patrick Tupelo, two huge, you know, almost, um, you know, five All Black front rowers as well, but just couldn't quite translate that into. Uh, being just strong enough to make the final at the end. Um, you know, what do the Blues have to do this year to perhaps turn that round? Um, I know something I'm very excited about is watching Bodie go up against Richie Mwonga. Um, but, you know, they'll certainly be looking to just improve um, ever so much to, to get up to that top tier of the competition. Well, the first thing is they didn't miss out on the final by very much. Uh, it was only a number of wins. And so they ended up, uh, I think they had the same a number of points as the Chiefs. They just had one fewer wins. And so they were very close to doing it. Mm-hmm. And you're right, they they built their game around this massive forward pack and they'll Huge. look to throw. And of course, the thing that I'm really looking forward to is the arrival of Roger Tuivasa-Shek because oh. I think he's got the ability to have a profound effect not only on, on, on the Blues, but maybe on the New Zealand game. Let's not yeah. get ahead of ourselves. He's still got to prove himself worthy and get past some very good players to make the All Blacks, with the signs being that he's going to be used in the in the middle of the field rather than uh, as a winger or a, a fullback. I would have loved to have seen him at, at fullback, um, but when we, maybe we'll get to see that. But so look, I I I think that they they're definitely growing something under Leon McDonald. Let's not forget too that they came through, and I'm sure it was quite a bizarre sort of setup as yeah. been where you were only playing Australian opposition up until the final. I think he ended up with three teams on equal points. There was nothing much in it, but they did come through and win that. So I would say that's a successful year for the Blues, even if they were just pipped. Um, you know, and, and I think the Chiefs deserve to be in the final. I agree with everything that Kirsty said uh, about what Clayton McMillan has brought to this team. You know, intriguing scenario mm. with Warren Gatlin stepping away. And I love the way the Chiefs have reacted to that. I, th- I think it's a win-win situation what's come out of that. Um, and so, yeah, look, I think you've got three very uh, strong teams there. Obviously, that the Highlanders and the Hurricanes had their moments. I think that, you know, the Highlanders at one stage had a very good win over the Crusaders, uh, but weren't consistent enough. But it's so darn hard to be consistently good when you're playing such quality opposition every single week. What about that performance from Geordie Barrett? I don't know, oh. were you commentating that one, TJ, where he scored, was it every point, 30 points in a match, he scored a hat-trick, couple of penalties, 100% conversion rate. That was like an unbelievable individual performance and they won it. Yeah, look, and, and we're having, uh, you know, we've had a, a great deal of difficulty sorting out the finalists for Super <laughs> Player of the Year um, because 
the, the, you know, the standard was uh, amongst our elite players was very high. And there's going to be a couple of pretty big names that people are going to go, oh, they, they should have been there. That's just part of the deal, you know, that you have to roll with that every year. Um, but, but yeah, no, look, I, I, I thought uh, Super Rugby Aotearoa this year um, was good again. Uh, I think we have to be careful that we don't, you know, have too much of a good thing. Yeah. I think the really feel the, the, the pinch of it. It's an incredibly intense competition. And look, I think one of the things that came out of it this year was the enthusiasm that was suddenly generated when the Aussies came into it. Yep. Yes, we've been thinking, oh, you know, what are they bringing? Their teams haven't been strong. They've got too many teams, all that sort of stuff. And of course, South Africa bowing out of the competition, Argentina. But I think it just showed how hungry people were to see resumption of matches between, uh, you know, the, the, the trans-Tasman rivals. And hopefully next year, um, you know, we, we don't get that disrupted. And, of course, what we've got to look forward to is the, the arrival of Moana Pacifica yep. and also Fiji and Drua, which are, they're both going to bring so much on and off the field with the fan base they draw. Uh, and, and they will add uh, to, to what, you know, under the circumstances, I think, when you consider what we've had to deal with the last two years, I think it've been two very, very good competitions. Yeah, I agree. It's actually, you know, the circumstances we've been operating under, it's to get as much rugby did to the standard that we did. It's actually been uh, fantastic and credit to the players and everyone involved. And I just want to, you talked about a couple of players there, uh, TJ, and I just wanted to finish on on Super Rugby to chat about some of those. Like you say, when you look at the list um, for the Super Rugby Player of the Year, uh, Rich Mwanga, Dalton Popoliti and Aaron Smith, three awesome players, doesn't them? include people like Cody Taylor or Geordie Barrett, who are in outstanding, outstanding seasons as well. Firstly, who do you think advanced their stocks this year as, as, our, as our top super local players without giving away too much and sitting on the fence, mate, and not letting the viewers know what's going to happen um, in a week or so? But, um, oh, come we'll on, see- PJ, tell us. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, guys, but I'm not going there. Um, <laughs> not the finalists. And as, as you say, uh, there's some very good players missed out. Just bear in mind, we have strict criteria when we're looking at these categories. If a player gets red carded during the cross, right. that immediately rules them ineligible. The only exception to that, of course, Geordie Barrett, who was red carded. I'm talking about All Blacks player of the yep. year here. He was red carded, but that was rescinded. That's just a, that's just a, a cut and dried condition of being in the final. So there are you know various other things that come into play. Um, you know, it's about leadership. It, it, it's about standards. Uh, it's about, you know, um, the, the image that they cast, you know, that young players look up. But of course, it's most, you know, it's a, it's about performance. And I think, look, we've got three, you know, really, uh, we've got worthy finalists there. Um, you know, to me, Dalton Papaletti had an outstanding year for the who's uh, just relentless work ethic. Um, Obviously, Richie Maunga, you know, he drives the show at the Crusaders. He's there in the final and will be a strong contender to win it again. And the other one that, that came through that just ahead of the others was Aaron Smith. I, I, you know, and the reason uh, I, I guess Aaron Smith made it, you know, this is a guy who was already a great player. And somehow this year he managed to make himself, in this competition, he just managed to make himself even greater in a team that battling. That he stood out in so many regards. But you're right, there, there are three, four, five players who could so easily have been in the finals. And I, I think um, if if I could sort of just play the little violin just a moment, put yourselves in our position, yeah. how would you go about sorting it out? And I would say if you asked 20 people, 
you'd probably get 20 different combinations. Well, I know Kirsty would have a chief in there for sure for a start. Like I'm picking that would be one change. But you're right, mate. It was some guys played played really, really well. And there's, um, you know, the, the amazing thing about Aaron Smith, I think, is like you say, a rugby team is obviously the sum of all parts, but my God, he's important to the Highlanders, isn't he? Like he is the engine. He is the heart of that team. And and I suppose as a halfback, you do control the tempo as well. But um, you notice very much so when he is on the field and when he isn't off the field, he's just such an important man down there. Guys, what about, um? those are sort of some of the headline players, some of the players that maybe, um, you know, up in lights for the player of the year. What about some of the guys... Um, sort of breakout players, you know. I, you know, Dalton Polly was was in the mix, but he just went up another gear this year, and he's in the Player of the Year category. Um, any other players throughout the comp who you thought, um, you know, basically had a breakout year? Well, I mean, I get excited every time I watch Will Jordan play, no matter who he's playing for. Um, you know, we saw Josh Lord, uh, one yeah. year, just came from under twenties. Well, I can remember last year uh, it was calling his first appearance, um, you know, when he when he first came onto the scene for Taranaki. And, yeah, I was, I was very interested in him because I remember, you know, his dad, um, Matt, was was a terrific player, played for North Harbour, but became an absolute uh, folk hero uh, at, at Northampton with the way he played over yeah. there. And so I was always interested in him. And, and obviously he's a player who's, who's had a, a rocket-like rise this year. I, um, perhaps... I would put it more continued development of players. I mean, for the last couple of years, I've been saying in conversations amongst my, you know, friends who, who, who follow the game or amongst the workmates, how I kept saying, you know, how much uh, Samasoni Taukeahu oh. could have impact on a game of rugby. To me, it goes back to that amazing game that they played in Fiji a couple of years ago. Yep. And what we saw this year is, is you know, the continuation of that trend. And to me, he was one of the big rising stars of the year. And we already knew about him. He wasn't a bolter. But this is a guy, the more you looked at him, the more you like what you see. And so to me, it, it, to me, it was, it was more about that. Players who've shown potential starting to really realise. But, you, you know, as I say, it's a lot. Of, I'm, I'm sure Kirsty would probably have some some other players' names. I've got it's... totally different players in mind. Yeah. <laughs> Go. A few, of the, a few of the up-and-coming stars and probably players for the future. Um, and it's hard because you you forget about these people, you know, because so much has happened in between. But for Lau Whakatawa at the start yeah. of the year for the Highlanders, him and Aaron Smith were playing 50-50, you know, equal minutes there until he got injured. So he was one for me. Another one who I loved watching every week and I... I thought he was going to be a bolter for the All Blacks this year, Lester Whanganuku, and I know TJ will agree, not just because he's a Tasman man, but he was outstanding for the Crusaders. And you just look and you think, where's he going to fit in next year? What position is he going to play? He's one of those players that's just so, so, so good and great to watch. It was a good season and plenty of people put their hands up and also really special inaugural event. We had our first Super Rugby Wahine game between the Blues and the Chiefs. That seems like so long ago now. And we didn't know it then, but we know we're going into um, a Super Rugby Wahine competition as well next year. I think it's, is it four games? Um, but that was special, wasn't it? Were you guys there? And, and I know talking to some of the players like Liz Elder afterwards that it was a step up in intensity. It was a step, step up in standard. And she could tell just from that one fixture that if they had the opportunity to do this more, to play those sort of fixtures more, that it's absolutely going to help their development and their standard. And, and that's what we've got. That's kicking off next year, which is fantastic. 
That was so cool. Like I feel like that entire week there was so much hype um, and build up around that match. It almost felt like it was building into a test week or something for those women because it was something they'd never done. But these women had dreamed of it, like talking to Chelsea Alley. She'd yep. literally dreamed about being a chief since she was a little girl and never in her wildest dreams would she ever think that she'd pull on that same jersey. The jersey presentations, having Sam Kane go in and present yeah. those women those jerseys and the same for the Blues. Like it was just the most incredible week. So, so special. And to think that that was just the start of what's going to be something really special next year and then more to come in future as well. Yeah, I think it's a much needed step um, in, in New Zealand rugby. First and foremost, uh, we saw at the end of the year what yeah. the profession has done in the UK and in France, particularly with England, where they have, I think a lot of the funding for women's rugby has now gone into the 15-a-side game, unfortunately, probably at the expense of the sevens game, but they now have a fully professional international team. They have a, a mostly or, or, or part professional league over there where I think they contract about 11 players um, per yep. team. The rest of them are part-timers, but it's brought about a huge improvement in standards I'm talking about standards and performance, standards of attitude, standards and conditioning, all of those things. And, and we saw evidence of, of that both in England and France, the way they played against, you know, admittedly a very underprepared New Zealand team, or terribly underprepared, really, uh, New Zealand team. So this is exciting to me. This, to me, provides yep. a much-needed tier between Farah Palmer Cup, which is a, it's a, it's a really good competition. But you've got, I think, it's, we saw it this year. There, there is a step, and I think this is so important. We now have, what, 105, 110 fully contracted women. I love the fact that we've got some of our um, seven stars coming into the mix because, to me, they are amongst the most committed and professional yep. athletes in any sport that we have in New Zealand, and I think a lot of their attitudes are going to, to rub off. That's what's exciting about it. Four teams. It's too short. Um <laughs> my way of thinking um, but obviously you've got to start somewhere yep. and to me just this is a significant step it's just a step towards hopefully in future we'll see maybe home and away or ideally to me we bring the Australians in because they're building a good professional competition over there well so this is a huge step in the right direction but it's just a step but something very much to look forward to next year Exciting times, and to, to round out the domestic review, um, it was it was an affected competition, um, our NPC this year, but it was a throw to the provinces, wasn't it? Hawks Bay, Taranaki um, were the ones really driving the standard this year, and fantastic to see them have such such amazing seasons, and it was unfortunate we couldn't have um, Auckland North Harbour counties involved in the competition, but still great that um, our other teams were able to get some rugby, and, and the rugby that was played was very, very good, particularly from the Naki and from the Hawks Bay. Well, for the first time in a very long time, and TJ will be the same, we didn't get to go out into these regions, and we do that every year, and there's something yeah. special about this competition, right? But Hawks Bay, the whole year, were the standard setters. There's something about that shield, Ash Dixon leading that side, yeah. and the Ranfurly shield that just gave them this like magic cape around them, and they just transformed into a different team every time they defended that shield. And then you look at Taranaki, for them to be championship, beating teams in the premiership, 
the only side to go through undefeated, um, lost players throughout to Japan, to injuries and all sorts. It was a magical season for them. But then you think about who came through in the final in Tasman. Again, they're there. Yeah. But Waikato in the 100th year, the men and women do the double. For me, that's that's really special to do the FPC and the NPC double. It's and phenomenal. And the first year as well. Yeah, despite the disruptions that we had, it still turned out to be a terrific period of time. It's, look, I've often said it's my favourite time of year in New Zealand rugby. And for one of the reasons, Kirsty says, I love being able to go you know, around the country uh, and, and, and feel um, you know, what the regions to me. And look, if I could just sort of make a, a, a backdrop point about this, what we saw again this year was evidence of the fact that Back, oh, I think it must have been 12, 13, 14 years ago, uh, you know, there was a lot of discussion about the future of this competition. I, I was actually involved in some of the discussion groups that went on. And I think all through the feedback that we're getting, particularly from the public, from the media, was that they wanted everything leveled out so that it wasn't just the domain of the super rugby teams using their super rugby money to boost their provincial teams. And we've achieved that. You look at yeah. the standard this year or the last few years. Sure, Tasman, very much part of the Crusaders setup, but they're their own entity and, you know, made the yeah. final. And, and, you know, perhaps, you know, Hawks Bay after that brilliant run, uh, maybe just a bridge too far, but I, I agree with Kirsty. They lit it up. Uh, Taranaki, yeah, a fantastic year. Uh, and, and, of course, congratulations too to Waikato, yep. um, both the women's and the men's. One other team that I could chuck in too, and that was uh, South Canterbury, unbeaten in, in the Heartland competition. Absolutely fantastic. This is a this is a great competition. If you see it, uh, you know you watch the the program every week. It, it, it's it's really great to see. And so you know, let's not forget them as well. All things considered, I think we got some really great value out of that competition uh, in the later stages of the season. Can I just jump in with one other there since you mentioned Heartland, but um, Ngāteputo East Coast, yeah. how cool was it? Um, not only did they break the drought, they'd gone seven or eight years without picking up a victory in this competition. Then this season they win three. Um, one of their players is up for Heartland Player of the Year, their captain, Horni Haidewa, and they had Jose Gear come back not only coach this team, but to play for them and to get guys like Ma'anonu uh, to come in would have just been so cool for the East Coast, you know, Rotoria, Tiki Tiki, Tiaro. These players come for two and a half hours of training every single week and then go home again after a long day's work. And I know so many of them do that play Heartland as well. They don't get paid for it. They do it because they absolutely love it. But that competition is so great. Look, I, I fully endorse that. I mean, I, I still think one of the greatest memories I have in rugby and one that I'll take with me uh, you know, right to the end of my days was I was lucky enough to be at the, the final that they won in 1999. I Brilliant. The, you know, get the sense of this incredible um, buzz around the whole, uh, you know, Ngāti Poro community, or the whole of that region. So, yeah, it was, it was great to see them as well. So, yeah, look, um, and, and good to see them, you know, acknowledged as well when, when we come to the awards. Oh, that was wasn't that, it always creates a bit of buzz when we see some of our uh, former All Blacks, All Black Sevens players going back and playing for the provinces. And I thought that was, you know, one of the really good stories of the year, wasn't it? To see those guys back at grassroots footy um, chipping oh, in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome, guys. And just wanted, as I said in the intro, like, geez, we're in the Olympics this year. Like, firstly, um, and TJ, you were, you were very involved. Um, 
But, you know, first, just how good was it that we um, were able to have that? Because obviously it was delayed by a year, right up until weeks before the event. It was probably still up in the air whether it would go ahead or there was a lot of talk that it may not because there's still so much COVID in Japan and, and um, there was a little bit of uncertainty or a lot of uncertainty there. But I remember the first thing I remember watching, I think, was the, um, the mountain biking at the Olympics. And I just looked at that track and I was like, thank God this has gone ahead because look at the presentation, the effort, the money, the, the what's been built here. Um, for it not to be used just would have been a tragedy. So it's fantastic first to to see that go ahead, albeit in a completely different um, way or, or circumstances as it has in the past. And um, our Black Ferns and All Black Sevens were there as well. Um, and it was a pretty awesome tournament, wasn't it? Well, uh, firstly, you know, this was my third Olympic game, so I feel privileged to be able to even say that. Uh, Barcelona, 1992, London. Uh, I was there in 2012, and to go to Tokyo, obviously different. Um, yeah. Barcelona, I was very young and foolish, and, and I tried to do games on two hours sleep a night. I, <laughs> um, <clears throat> London was a magnificent event. Tokyo, yes, it was a shame that you couldn't get the crowds in, but an absolute triumph yeah. just to be hold them. And in the end, once the sport starts, and I guess if I'd listened to some of the breathless reporting on the TV network news every night, I probably wouldn't have even gone. Yeah. Because this whole thing was going to be a super spreader event and what have you. But um, the efficiency and uh, the dedication of the Japanese people to make it work. And Kirsty, you know, you, you were there. Um, you know, the, the, the seamless way that they used their, their, their testing. It was all about testing. Um, and, and that meant that you felt quite secure in, in what you were doing. You got to the ground. Yes, the fans weren't there. But the, the, the rugby sevens was so good, you ended up forgetting the fact that there weren't even, weren't fans in the stand. I honestly believe, uh, and I, look, I've covered a fair bit of sevens over the last 20-something uh, or other years, uh, and I think that was the best uh, exhibition, best festival of sevens rugby that I've ever seen, and it should be too. It was the Olympics, and for us to come through at the end with a gold and a silver medal, that was an absolutely fantastic achievement because we know the resources when it becomes an Olympic sport that other countries put into it. Uh, so, you know, to me, a great tournament, great to see Fiji win the men's, but even better to, to see our Blackfern Sevens do such a stunning job and, and win the gold medal for the women. Just like Super Rugby, TJ, we had totally different... Um, well, you were watching it as a commentator. I was watching it on my phone because I think I was watching um, the men's football about two hours south of Tokyo when that women's final was on. And everyone was captivated. Everyone is literally around the phone watching that final because for the women, for five years, you know, they waited for redemption against Australia. And to go through that way, they did. Nerve-wracking semi-final, I must oh. admit, for everyone watching that. But, you know, we went through. And I just wanted to mention Sarah Hidene because it had been a tough year for her. She lost her mother. Um, and when you talk about inspirational leaders you cannot go past her. Like I remember, was it three or four years ago um, when Scotty Stevenson was doing the interviews, she must have won the New Zealand Sevens Player of the Year Award that year. She was up on stage with him and he, he was talking about her background and how she um, was one of the best female sheep shearers in the country. And back then, not a lot of people knew who these players were. Now more people talk about our women than our men in this game. And they're just, they're so great for the game, aren't they? Yeah, look, and it wasn't, 
easy. I, I think some people thought they were going to go over there and walk yeah. it, but it just doesn't happen at the Olympic Games. Uh, they had some some hairy moments for sure. Oh. That's final where they they go went to extra time. <laughs> and look, maybe they 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 did get that little little bit of luck that you need to, to win a tournament. I don't think anyone's ever won a World Cup or an Olympic gold medal without a little wee bit of fortune. Maybe they got a, a, a couple of you know 50-50s go their way, but you know you you, you go back to Rio, and I, I I thought at a crucial stage they had a yep. terrible go against them, and so yep. that that. You know, that swings and roundabout stuff. And then they got through to the final. I'll tell you a little story about that, if I, if I can. Um, we were sitting, I was commentating, Rob Vickerman and I, um, yep. and I, I tell you, thank goodness for Manuka Honey lozenges, because I don't think I would have through it without those. I oh, and, and Rob Vickerman. Geez, he has some energy in the commentary box, doesn't oh, he? My God. 50, 54 I, I, games that I was involved in. Um, but we were sitting behind the French commentators and they would swan in and out depending on where France were playing in their, their typical style, whereas, you know, we were there from go to woe. And their co-commentator was Vincent Clare. Oh. The, the yeah, 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 yeah. Um, when they, they played uh, Canada there in, in, in our World Cup. But he was also on the field that dreadful night in Cardiff yes. with French uh a you know a historic win, uh, albeit a very controversial one. And when I was talking to him early on the tournament, he was very sort of, "Oh yes, I'm sorry. Uh, perhaps we won't talk about that game." Ha ha ha, sort of thing. And I just, you know, you know, whatever. It's in the past. Well, after the final, he suddenly this charming persona just erupted, and they were they were filthy. They thought that the referee was biased and all this sort of stuff. <laughs> what, a bit like 2007, Vincent, <laughs> pretty much the end of the conversation. Um, I, I don't think the refereeing in the final was biased towards New Zealand at all. It's just how we react. But I, I guess you know, that's part of the joy of the Olympics. You're surrounded by people from other countries. Um, but no, um, absolutely magnificent. And, and on and off the field, it, I don't think any other team probably endeared themselves to the international audience as much as that team did. And, of course, we gave it that amazing interview that my, my great friend Jill Douglas from the BBC did with uh, Ruby Tui. I, I don't know that there would be an interview with the whole Olympics that got more coverage than that. And and let's not forget the men. Um, yep. I would be saying they didn't quite redeem themselves from Rio. Absolute nonsense. They, they won a silver medal. Let, let's not forget that. They were up against a, a, an inspired driven and utterly brilliant Fiji team and to come through that and win a silver medal let, let's not forget that achievement either I think Tony you make a great point around I talked to Clark Laidlaw before he went away um, for the Olympics and he said uh, some of the games they were having internally um, at Blake Park at the mount there between their their squad of 14 to 16 players was some of the best sevens he'd ever seen he said some of the the training games that they were having um, was at a standard um, that he as high as he'd ever seen been, and been coaching the side and involved in the game. And I think what that does is shows just how strong Fiji was. We went with a very strong side. We played well. Guys like Scott Curry and Andrew Newstub were outstanding. But on the day, um, Fiji are an outstanding seven side. And actually, um, just a little shout out to their female team as well, who are a few months out from the tournament when they had a warm-up game um, in Northern Australia. Um, you know, perhaps weren't indicating that they were going to be strong, but obviously a bit of time together, an opportunity to spend time as a squad prepare, um, really benefited them. And actually, they were um, 
you know, they were the dark horses of the tournament and, and played some amazing sevens. And, and hopefully that's something they're able to keep going as well and keep that women's side together and be more involved in whatever tournaments are upcoming and, and future Olympics. Because even though I desperately want New Zealand to win, of course, um, there's something that warms the heart when you see um, it's the only medal um, for Fiji that they won. And what it means to, to the people back there is, is pretty amazing. And how many good sevens rugby sevens and rugby players that island can produce is just absurd isn't it i'm so sorry but i've got to run all good kirsty you go me and tj have got this we've got this so much (laughs) (laughs) enjoy thanks for your time mate that's a um yeah look um fiji i I think and and what i i I loved about it because obviously you know you, you read the accounts from back home i you know get back to the hotel at you know, whatever time at night and you grab some uh, uh, Uber Eats, we're sort of yeah. kind of <laughs> to our hotel when we weren't at the venue. Uh, and you sit there and you go through. And I, what I loved about it was I thought there was a great reaction yeah. uh, from the New Zealand public to, to what happened. I, we have this great affinity with Fiji. We love the way they play rugby. We love Fiji, the nation. We love the people. And, and so if it wasn't going to be us, it, it would be Fiji every single time. Um, they deserved it. And and the women, you're right, inspired performance. And, boy, it, it took that, uh, oh. that time, that try by uh, Gail Broughton uh, yep. to get Zealand through. You know, there were some sticky moments for that team. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, the players, I think, you know, consummate professionals that they are, there were moments when I think they felt the full glare of Olympic expectation. But the player who just kept coming through with, you know, the big moments and the right words was Sarah. Yep. He didn't. I totally agree with what Kurt said about her. She was she was phenomenal. Everyone else played their part. The, you know, all of the players that you come to expect this this very high standard of play. But but she, you know, she, she was out outstanding. And I, I I tell you, Rob, it was an absolute thrill and a, a a joy and a pleasure and a privilege to be there to witness it. I've been to three Olympic Games. I had to call Spinning Rhombus doing a demolition derby in in, in Barcelona. Didn't get to call a gold medal in London. I finally got got to call a New Zealand gold medal, and I'll treasure that for the rest of my day. uh, The rest of my days. Oh, mate, it was brilliant, and also just you know who knows what the future holds for some of those girls. Well, we've got to remember that Sarah Herney, Kelly Brazier, Portia Woodman, they're foundation sevens players for us. You know, they were there right from the start when they made the switch from other sports and, and, you know, they won a silver against a very good Australian team at the previous tournament. And for them to get the gold um, was an absolutely awesome occasion, you know, knowing that they may not be at the next one. Yeah, yeah, could, could well be. Or who knows with some of them? I mean, that's, that's such fantastic athletes. And I use the word athletes with a, with a capital A. Uh, and and I, I think they've benefited from, you know, some, some investment. Being able to be in the same part of the country. You know, I mean, I was down there uh, earlier on this year and um, down at the Mount with my daughter. We were watching a cricket game and they were all there. They'd been training in the morning and they, here they all were supporting the, uh, um, the, the, the white ferns and the cricket, which was just so great to see. Uh, a terrific bunch. Uh, they really are. And we can be very proud of, well, both of our sevens teams, what they achieved in Tokyo 20. Well, 2020, as we had to keep calling it. We weren't allowed to call it 2021. Tokyo. No, that's right. And you have, do you have to, is it the same as at the 2021 Women's World Cup? Do you have to keep that practice going as well? I can't remember. Yeah. 
Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Let's um let's finish off on on our international teams. Firstly, the Black Ferns, and we've hinted at this a little bit um, already in the podcast, but they hadn't played footy for two years. You know, like um they hadn't had an inter- international game for two years. They took thirty four players up, and they didn't just muck around and sort of ease into it. They took on probably the two strongest um, international women's teams at the moment in France and England. You've already spoken a little bit around the professionalism um, that those two countries. Have at the moment, we took up a good mix. There was some youth in there. Um, there was some experience, but also some of the Sevens players came over as well, which I think really benefited the side because they are professional currently. Um, and while the results weren't strong, my goodness, we needed that rugby, didn't we? Going into a World Cup year next year, we needed to be tested. We needed to see where we were at against um, a couple of the strongest sides, knowing that we're trying to defend the World Cup next year back at home. Yeah, and you know, got a fairly stark illustration of, of where they are at after the difficulty they've had not being able to play for all that length of time, uh, and and running into uh, the English game when it's never been better, the French yeah. game never been better. I mean, I, look, they've lost over there before. I mean, I've been yeah. involved in broadcasting games over there where they've lost a twin. It's a very hard place for anyone to win. Let's not forget that. But you know, look. As I think, face it, you know, the All Blacks are facing now, you go to a, a situation, you come away from a tour with a record like that, you have to think about what you're doing, where you're at. And this is yeah. the challenge now. Uh, they'll be so much better prepared next year because, first of all, we will have Super Rugby uh, and, and that will, even if it's only for a month, but they'll be training together. So that, that will set them up nicely for what happens, you know, in the later months of the year. Um, but but they know what they need to achieve in terms of their strategy, uh, just in terms of their their, their preparation. Uh, you know, to, to, under the circumstances, you know, England just look fitter, faster, stronger, and, yep. and New Zealand team can be that as well. They've shown it in the past. Some really good performances still. Yes. Uh, I thought Les Elder, you know, just tackled herself to a stance. Showed <laughs> what a really great leader she is. Obviously, Kennedy Simon appears to be a you know a, a rising star of the women's game, and then you know um, Aisha Letty Lingup, um, Liana Michaeli Tuu, um, Stacy. You mentioned Stacy Flula in, in the side. They they all had moments. Sometimes you know Michaeli Tuu in particular was phenomenal at times, and you know they just need to find consistency in performance. And I think it's something more approaching a normal year next year gives them the opportunity to do that. Mate, it's going to be awesome. Um, hopefully, um, as you say, the girls know where they're at now um, and they've got the biggest challenge next year. But it seems, it looks like at the moment, they've got a lot more rugby in the build-up to that to get ready. Flick to the All Blacks, TJ. Um, set in an overview, set in a sentence, you know, 15 tests. Um, you know, three months of that was on the road. Uh, 12 wins out of 15. Bledisloe Cup winners, rugby championship winners. You know, a lot of that reads is very, very successful. But of course, our standards are high in the... And the two losses at the end of the year um, against two very good opposition, as it was kept getting said in the lead up to the last matches, it has just left a couple of rocks under the towel. Um, you know, your your summation of the season, good, bad, ugly? Well, I think it's probably a bit of everything. Uh, it was. Um, no, not so much the ugly. Uh, I, I wouldn't say ugly, um, but some of it not good, not so good. Um, look, first and foremost, most teams in the world, they look at a record like that. And, and who plays 15 test matches in a year? That, that was a daunting task right from the word go. 
okay, there was some in there that you knew that they were going to win and probably handsomely. But even so, that is a long, long campaign. And when you consider that they spent the last few months of it in a bubble, I mean, you know, it's been very interesting, uh, the response to this. You know, we obsess about what the, the, the scribes in the Northern Hemisphere, you know, Stephen Jones of this world, say about it. So we read all their comments, and it's been very interesting. But they willingly acknowledged the difficulty that this all-black team had faced being in the bubble. Um, you know, Australia at least played at home. The South Africans were able to go home because they didn't quite have, they didn't have the same very, um, uh, I suppose, exacting MIQ scenarios that we had in New Zealand. Our guys couldn't come home. So I think there was an acceptance internationally that that did put the All Blacks at a bit of a disadvantage. And when you're playing your 15th, 14th, 15th test of the year against two very good sides, I think if we'd won one of those games, you would say it was a very it was a very successful year. Um, we, you know, we retained the Bledisloe Cup, which is really important to us. Won the Rugby Championship, uh, sorted out some of the glitches from from last year in terms of the loss to Argentina. Uh, split games with the Springboks; both games could have gone either way. Terrific, best rivalry in rugby to come away with a split of that. That's not bad. And then just at the end. Um, you know, I, there's certainly challenges. And, and I, I just say what I, I said before about uh, the, the Black Ferns. And I, I, I hark back to a documentary that we made about the 2011 All Blacks winning the World Cup and what they were faced with after 2009, where the public was getting very restless yep. after three games to South Africa. Graham Henry said the best thing about losing those games was that it made us think. It made us think about what we were doing, about the roles that we had in terms of the coaching, about the players, what it was we were trying to achieve. It made us think. They came up with the answers. That's the challenge. Uh, I, I think we can forgive to a degree. Uh, you know, we have to take into account the mitigating factors that affected the All Blacks towards the end of the year. But even so, uh, they were well beaten by, by France. They were outpointed by Ireland. Uh, I think on both occasions, they, they were deservedly beaten. And, and so the challenge now is for the coaching staff just to, to take a step back, take a long, hard look at what they're doing and make some decisions about, are we going about this the right way? What do we need to change? How can we get better? We know that they have the potential to do that. This really is probably the ideal time. You've still got two years before the next World Cup. But I think what this has to do is, is you know provoke some deep thought about, about where they're at. Oh, exactly right. And the one thing I heard Grant Fox say this a couple of times is be careful what you wish for. And so often the rugby public wants to see a contest. They want they don't want to know the outcome of a game. They want the excitement, the anticipation. They don't want to, um, you know, know the in theory, know the result. Well, well, we've got that. Um, we've got some serious um, opposition, like you say, with our old foe, South Africa. We are very much back to where we were um, in terms of it being a contest. The Northern yeah. Hemisphere sides, um, you know, I think they've benefited from their Six Nations has been going sort of back properly for a couple of years now, and they're really benefiting um, from that. And a domestic competition where it's absolutely back up and running and providing them good competition. And we went into yep. the Lions Den, and, and like you say, we've got an opportunity um, to reflect and see what we need to do to improve. And, and for the fixtures coming up next year, some of the June Test matches against our Northern Hemisphere opposition, whether it be New Zealand, Australia, South Africa. There'll be some real anticipation around those games, won't there? Where we normally think, oh, we'll take care of those. They're coming here at the end of a long season. They're going to be a bit tired. Um, they're just games to get going. 
um, I'm excited about those games in June and, and seeing how the Northern Hemisphere teams feel when they're down here and how we respond. Yeah, but you're right what you say about the public expectation because it's not that long ago when the All Blacks were winning and everyone, well, not everyone, I don't think it's everyone, but <laughs> you know, there were enough people on talkback or social media yeah. saying that would with them winning. So yeah. I presume these are the same people complaining about now yeah. they've lost games, which I thought was what they wanted, or did they only want close games but we still won them? I don't, I don't know. I don't, but... Um, Look, there's no question at the moment uh, that we go into the world. You know, look, two years out from the World Cup, I think there are a, you know a, a, a very wide number of contenders as they stack up right now. I think Australia are improving. South Africa are always going yeah. to be strong um, because they're so physically powerful. They are able, uh, you know, through some you know, sort of fairly cunning means at the moment, but they're able to dictate the pace and shape of a game. Um, you know, England, they, they tend yeah. to this would be a hell of a roller coaster ride under Eddie Jones, but they have the ability. And Eddie Jones has always been a great one for the, you know, the one off win. Um, yeah. As spotting the All Blacks. I think the team to beat is France in 2023. Home team, would that be our first game of the World Cup in 2023, Tony? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, there's plenty of occasions the team that lost uh, the game has gone through I know England going back as far as uh, what 1991 uh, yep I was there both times lost to the All Blacks in game one lost to Australia in the last game but, yeah but but it, it would be a, a phenomenal way to start the tournament for sure particularly uh, in France but you know you, you look at Ireland you know what Wales are capable of it's an exciting scenario I think the whole world still thinks that New Zealand is going to be right in the thick of the race. Um, and we've got the talent. It, it, it's all there. As I say, it's just a good time to take a step back and just think, okay, what are we doing right? What do we need to do better? What do we need to change? Mate, for you, we did have 15 games. There was 12 wins in amongst there. And, and even, um, like you say, uh, the split games with South Africa were absolute belters in terms of their closeness. Who advanced their stocks for you this year, TJ? Who's people that you absolutely think need to be on the team sheet in the 23 come next year and, and um, you know, be really clear around what their role is for the All Blacks? Well, first of all, uh, if you start, you know, with the high numbers, I thought Geordie uh, Barrett had a fantastic year. Uh, his goal kicking, I, I think he proved himself to be, um, you know, the, the rightful number one goal kicker in that team. Uh, his general play was good, as I say. He unfortunately, perhaps, um, you know, red-carded, Yep. And that was later rescinded. So that was a you know a stain that was removed from his copybook, which which was great to see. Um, I mentioned Will Jordan. Uh, to me, he's one of those guys you just want to get him the ball all oh. with such an excitement machine. We've got options. I thought Rico Ioane continues yep. to develop as uh, a multi-purpose player. He can play centre. He can play wing. Uh, there still remains that question mark in the middle of the park. I'm going to be fascinated to see how Roger Tuivasa-Shek goes yeah. next. Can he force his way into the reckoning? Uh, Quintupaya, I, I, to me, looks at home in international rugby. They asked a lot of David Havili. 12 is not his natural position. Quinn came in, I, I thought, you know, showed real promise. There's always going to be that debate over the 10s. Don't even want to go into it right now um, because you could spend a whole hour talking about it. Uh, you know, Aaron Smith still 
vitally important to the New Zealand game, and we missed him, uh, you know, towards the end of the year. Yep. I think there's a real battle developing as to who the, you know, the two and three halfbacks are, because I think TJ, you know, he's been a great servant of this All Black team, but I think both Brad Weber and, and Finley Christie showed, you know, what they can inject into a into a Test team, and of course, you know, Falau Fakatava. yeah. Come into, in, into the mix. Then you look into the forwards, and maybe there's a few question marks. You know, do we still are we still looking for the you know that the, the, the number six? Um, you know, it's just a shame that Liam Squires finally had to, to bow out. I think, uh, uh, you know, had certainly had his moments there, but that that you know finding out that best combination that that's a big big um, what you know um, space to watch over the next couple of years. Um, remember no Scott Barrett at the end of the year. I liked uh, the progress that Va'i made. Um, but, you know, Brody Retallick, I think at times, phenomenal player, but just showed the effects of being in Japan yeah. for a while. And then front row, um, to me, as I say, the, the guy that really um, I thought caught my eye was um, Tauke Aho. Yeah. When he uh, in, in the second half and they started, you know, taking it up the middle, he was the guy making really, you know, important metres, getting them going forward. And a lot of it stemmed from there. So to me, he comes into the mix and puts, you know, some pressure on two great players, and Cody Taylor and Dane Coles, others in the mix as well. And I think we've got to, you know, maybe this one thing we're looking for is just a bit more go forward out of our front rows. Um, you know, they, they're good players, terrific scrummages and what have you. But, you know, uh, not necessarily a case of changing, but maybe just getting a little bit more in, in, in that regard. So, I uh, look, there's, there's heaps of talent there. There's heaps of talent coming through. And as I say, if there's ever a good time to, to have to, 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 to have a, you know, a think about things, it, it, w- it would be now rather than this time next year uh, or, God forbid, the year after. <laughs> Maiden, we're going to just have a quick little, a little look forward to next year and, and you know, what excites me is almost some of the things you run through to watch Bodie play team for the Blues against Richie Mwanga for the Crusaders. Like, what a battle that'll be to watch some of the halfbacks go at it. How's Fakatava going to come back from injury? Who's going to own that number eight position? Hoskins Satutu showed a lot of promise, and, and he's going to be having battles with, with Luke Jacobson. Um, we've got a Rugby World Cup for our females next year, which is really exciting. Like, what are you looking forward to, Tony? Probably um, as much as me, probably just an under, uninterrupted competition as well of some description. Well, that, you know, that's a lot to hope for, I guess, in this day and age. Hopefully we get it. I think it's it's really important that we get it. I mean, you know, we were the envy of the world last year, and now it's a little bit envious for us looking yeah. on as life goes on in other parts of the world. And I'm a I, I, you know, great follower of the American football, watching the packed yeah. crowd every yeah. week, watching English rugby being played in front of big crowds that, you know, we'll see it for Six Nations. So hopefully... Hopefully we, we find a way and I, I just, you know, some creative thinking, some imaginative thinking, some flexibility should allow this competition to go ahead in, in the format that we want it to. That, that's, that's one thing that I would really wish for next year. Um, and, and I can't wait for that first weekend yeah. when we've got, you know, we've got uh, the game at Mount Smart. Moana Pacifica are playing and, and the, the, the Brumbies are over here, but we've also got the Blues at Eden Park. Fiji drew in, in action for the first time as well. I can't wait for that that, that first weekend. Uh, what else am I looking forward to? I can't wait to see Alpiki up and running. Uh, yep. I think this is 
needed uh, development. We've got the Women's World Cup to look forward to. Um, and But what you know what, Rob, as much as any, I just want to see our kids out playing sport. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, I know I'm going off, probably, you know, going off track here. That's not in the notes, Tony. That's not in the notes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I our kids out playing sport. I mean, I, you know, I've got a 14-year-old who only just last week was able to start playing cricket. Yeah. Uh, and and I feel so much for those kids who had their game called off because of what happened at, at, up at the domain. But I just want to be able to, you know, the, hope that the kids can get out and play next year because, you know, they, they, they've suffered from this as well. So all of the things to, to look forward to um, next year, obviously everything's got a bit of an asterisk or a question mark hanging over it, but let's hope next year um, we, we can get something closer to, to, to normality so that the kids can play and our elite players can play and we can all go and watch them. I've said it once before on this podcast, Tony, but the, the feeling when we came out of the last or the initial lockdown and we weren't able to play our club rugby for the first few months. And then we, um, that first game back, there was just an amazing feeling down at my local rugby club. Just everyone back together, all the parents having a coffee, having an adder again, the kids back out running around early in the morning on the jewel at the club. It was, it was a special feeling. So I 100% agree with you um, that that's where we want to get back to really, really quickly next year. Mate, I think that's a great note to finish on thank you very much thank you to Kirsty as well who snuck away a little bit earlier good luck for the uh, rugby awards at the end hopefully mate you're not under the gun for too many uh, controversial selections but i'm sure you've um you know cast your eye over it and done all your due diligence well you, you know when you go into it that you know people are going to i mean and straight away there were a, a couple of queries um you know i'd sort of take for example the coach of the year where yeah it wasn't quite right to say, you know, that these people were nominated. You know, we had a situation where, because it was a very narrow frame, uh, because some of our international teams didn't get to play, uh, rather than finding three finalists out of four contenders, we just basically said everyone's in the mix. And I think it was an attempt to make a bit of a controversy over that. Uh, there will be players or teams that uh, maybe didn't fit one criteria or another, but, mate, I've got a thick skin. I've been, I've been in the... <laughs> Uh, and I, I, I know that the, the, the panel that, that I was involved in uh, did due diligence. We got a lot of feedback uh, where we needed it from in, in some awards more than others uh, to, to make sure that we weren't missing anyone out or we found out who was contributing behind the scenes because that's an important part of it as well. You need to find out, you know, that make sure that everyone's you know, there are criteria in terms of uh, conduct and things like that. They sometimes come into it as well. So just rest assured that that we have left no stone unturned and no player unconsidered, if you like, in, in our attempt to find you know the, the award winners for this year. Uh, and and let's hope it's, it's a fitting celebration of, of of rugby in our country. Absolutely, it's always great to reflect on the year. I'll put a bookmark. Um, at the end of the season and and um, mate I hope it goes well I hope you enjoy your summer and very much looking forward to your dose of tones your commentary um, back in the box uh, for next year's competition and as you say hit the ground running with uh, that Blues and Moana Pacifica is, is pretty exciting isn't it to see those new teams involved and as you say hopefully crowds in the stands unaffected and, and we tear into it in 2022 so thank you for your time mate I really appreciate it. Alright mate and I just hope everyone has a, a really great and, and safe summer.